Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Tucson, Arizona with my new friend Matt Miner of the WorkPants Finance podcast. His parents opened a bed and breakfast here in 1995, and he visits them on a regular basis. He loves the Sonoran Desert and hiking in the local mountains. In this episode, Matt and I talk about exploring the Saguaro National Park, visiting the Pima Air and Space Museum, and stargazing through the world's largest public telescope at the University of Arizona. Hear about these three amazing experiences, plus so much more. If you know someone that wants to visit Arizona, I'd love it if you shared this episode with them. The show notes and our one-page guide to Matt's tips are available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Tucson. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Whether I'm traveling for business or pleasure, it's important to have clothes that make me look good and feel great. I wear Bluffworks jeans, slacks, dress shirts, and blazers because they're wrinkle-free and are designed for the modern traveler. And if they get dirty, a quick spin in the washing machine, and they're good as new. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash Bluffworks for a special offer and select from the latest styles so you can stay wrinkle-free when you travel. Hey, Matt. Welcome to the show. Hey, Lee. I'm tickled to death to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Today, we're talking about Tucson, Arizona. You know, I, I used to visit family a lot in Phoenix. I never really got a chance to go down to Tucson, though. And so I'm really excited to learn all about Tucson and, and all the fun things to, to do there. Well, I can't wait to tell you about it. And, you know, really coming from the perspective of someone, I, I, I lived in Tucson four years. I'm, I'm 44 this week. So it's been a minority of my life. But since we moved away, we just can't quit Tucson. We keep going back. We've brought probably a half dozen families from the East Coast out with us to Tucson. And it's really exciting to me to be able to share that with your listeners. Oh, that's so awesome. Well, for, uh, first off, happy birthday. Oh, thanks. So what's like one of the major things that keeps you coming back to Tucson? You know, for us, the thing about Tucson is just the natural beauty of the place. So Tucson has mountains on four sides and they aren't small mountains on the east side of the city are the Rincons. They're up at eight or 9,000 feet to the north of the Catalinas, which are a large range. And there's actually a, a lot to do up there. Uh, get up above 10,000 feet to the south is a, a beautiful, uh, more remote range called the Santa Rita's where we love to, to hike and uh, do other ac- outdoor activities. And then, and then to the west is the, the Tucson Mountains. And there's some kind of uh, traditional type stuff out there. The Sonoran Desert Museum is out in the Tucson Mountains and old Tucson Studios, which you'd recognize if you'd ever seen Three Amigos and some uh, other places like that. So we love the mountains, unlike Phoenix, which is down in a valley and also has a sort of uh, an urban heat island effect. Tucson is true Sonoran Desert and in, in places brushes against high desert. And so the, uh, whereas in Tucson, you'll get 30 degree temperature swings often all year round. So even if it's 102 during the day, it can be 70 or 72 overnight. Whereas in Phoenix, uh, where we also lived for several years, you know, you'll get these nights that barely get below 90 uh, and then, you know, up over you know 105 or something like that during the day. And so Tucson is much more mountain weather, much more outdoor oriented than Phoenix, uh, approximately one sixth the total population. And honestly, if you stay you know, in certain parts of Tucson, you can you can feel like you're in a, a much smaller place than even the one million people that live in Tucson and the the metro area in Pima County. There, yeah, that's really awesome because I know just from all the pictures I've seen that it's very beautiful and the environment 
and like the hiking seems really amazing. But I think the 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 heat, the summertime heat, is always one of those things that kind of throws me off and makes me scared to kind of go do it because you know obviously you don't want a heat stroke and everything like that when you're out there you're trying to climb a mountain. But what you're saying, like with the temperatures cooling off considerably, there makes it a little bit easier whether it's like in the evening or you know, first thing in the morning to be able to go out and do some of those really nice hikes and enjoy the scenery without worrying about it, you know, just sweltering heat. Yeah. And so that's a hugely important thing in summer, especially, and we like to visit in summer. Uh, you want to do your outdoor activities in Tucson morning and evening. You don't want to be out there midday. Definitely sunburn is real. You can definitely get overheated. Uh, you sunburn faster there than you can imagine anywhere else. People who aren't familiar to that uh, mountain desert air can hardly believe how fast you can dry out. You easily need to be drinking a quart of water an hour. I mean, it's, it's just a different environment. Uh, with that said, like you said, mornings and evenings are great times. Uh, the other thing is with these mountain ranges, you know, getting up above 7,000 feet in, in places that are quite accessible, you know, you can drop the temperature dramatically. So you're losing in that sort of clear mountain air, you're losing three degrees of temperature for every thousand feet of elevation. So like my mom's house is in Northeast Tucson and you can leave her house. It could be 102 and you can drive to the top of Mount Lemmon in 45 minutes. It's a beautiful drive. You gain, you know, something like 7,500 or 8,000 feet and it'll be in the low to mid seventies. And that's, you know, that's the same time of day, like for like yeah, it's one of those things. I think that sometimes when you when you do this, I know when we used to go to Palm Springs, there was kind of a similar thing. There's a there's a spot where even during the summertime, sometimes there'd be snow up at the top of the peak there, uh, which is weird because you you wouldn't think of that in in the desert, right? When you're going on some of these hikes, you want to bring like layers of clothing. That way, as you get further up the the elevation, you can add a layer to to stay warm uh, without starting off with like a parka on at, at the bottom of the mountain and, you know, in a hundred degree temperatures. Yeah. I think, you know, your audience probably has a lot of experienced travelers in it. Something like a, you know, a fleece vest and a ball cap will go a long way. For sure. For sure. Well, so speaking of that, like when we obviously, like we talked about summertime is obviously, you know, pretty warm, uh, you know, hundred degree temperatures, et cetera. What's the weather like throughout the year? If somebody wants to plan their trip where maybe it's a little bit cooler or, take advantage of like the springtime flowers and those types of things? Great questions. So the the peak season in Tucson for tourists is, is going to be really from the first of the year through the end of March. Like everybody wants to be there at that time. And that's of course a wonderful time to be there. It's also very busy. The, the attractions will be really busy. Shoulder season for Tucson would be, I would say anytime from like the third week of October through, uh, through the Christmas holidays. And then April can still be quite nice, although it'll be beginning to heat up. But, you know, if, if you want the very best weather, especially like people from the Midwest, uh, from the Northeast, like to be there in February, I definitely hear stories of folks who just like, we just made a deal when we moved to Minneapolis that we were going to spend a month out of every year in Arizona. And if I lived in Minneapolis, I would spend at least a month out of every year uh, in Arizona. But yeah, those are some things about seasonality. So like actual temperatures, like a January overnight low will be 35, high will be 65. February will be a little bit milder than that. Uh, a month like November, you probably still have uh, an overnight low that might be between 45 and 50 and a, and a midday high then it's going to be between you know 75 and 85. So cool in the morning, uh, warm at, at midday. One thing about Tucson weather that is desert mountain weather is that you can usually tell what the weather's going to be the next day. You know, if you want to plan for something, you can really plan on it uh, based on the season of the year, uh, the time of the day and the elevation where you're going. You don't usually have to worry too much about weather 
Uh, with that said, of course, there is weather. You know, Tucson gets 10 to 14 inches of rain every year. So it's not nearly as much of a desert as, as a Phoenix or a Scottsdale. There's, there's a lot more uh, precipitation coming through there. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Now, as far as like certain like uh, festivals or annual events that happen throughout the year, do you have any recommendations for those? The biggest one that I could think of for that would be the Gem and Mineral Show. I am not myself into gems and minerals, but that is the uh, the biggest event that draws people to Tucson each year. That's a, that's a global show, and uh, people who deal in uh, precious and semi-precious gems and then all kinds of stuff around that are there for for a big show at that time. So that that was the one that left immediately to mind. Yeah, I also saw that there's a, actually a, a bike race that happens there as well. Oh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me. So that is the uh, El Tour de Tucson is a 100 mile bike race, I think draws, you know, at least national competitors to that. And that's that's a big event. And I think that maybe just highlights really what Tucson is about. So the people who like Tucson, the things that are great to do there are to hike, to cycle, to go birding, to uh, go golfing, to watch stars, just like outdoor activities. And it's going to be different than what you can do in the Northeast or in the Midwest, or even then in some other parts of the mountain States. So Tucson is really a a great place for those who love the outdoors. And then it also has a pretty robust ongoing art scene with galleries and museums and that kind of stuff. But it is not as much a convention town or a festival town as, as some other places you could think of. Yeah, that makes sense. As I've been interviewing a lot of different people from different places, I've learned more about like these like dark skies like different locations where it's just, I guess with the ambient light of of the cities, there's certain spots where there's not a lot of, of that light where it makes it so much easier to see the stars. And like you said, it's a, it's a really good place for, for stargazing there in Tucson as well. Right. Yeah. Tucson is incredible for that. And then in particular in the mountains around there, and you don't have to go very far to see stars like, like you haven't seen elsewhere. Certainly if you live East of the mountain States, you'll be pretty mind blown. Uh, but then the top of the Catalinas and some other mountain ranges around there are, are loaded with observatories. Uh, University of Arizona, which is in Tucson, runs some different programs at one of their telescopes where you can go and freeze your fanny off uh, for a night in winter and get a really incredible guided tour of, I think it's the largest telescope that's open to the public. We saw some cool stuff there one we did that one year like if you haven't seen the green flash where the sun ducks below the horizon we saw that for the first time and the stargazing in tucson is is good there's even like there's municipal regulations where the lights on billboards i think theoretically have to point downward rather than illuminating upward and and things like that i would say that tucson's light pollution is worse now uh, in 2023 than it was 20 years ago but it's still much darker than most other places yeah that's really cool i I like i like it when they're like mindful about how those actions can affect other other different things. Now, let's take a step back. Uh, as far as getting to Tucson, you know, I know it's it's kind of like a second secondary city compared to Phoenix, et cetera. So if we're flying there, like you know, I'm in Nashville, I know you're in Raleigh right now. So if we're going to fly there, would we fly directly into Tucson or would we fly to Phoenix and then hop over to Tucson? How, how does that work? Yeah, it's just going to be your typical either two Southwest flights. So you're, you're not going to get a direct flight to Tucson from many places, uh, probably not many places that your listeners are or many places where there's much population in the United States, other than maybe there's probably some local point to point stuff like Southwest from you know LA, but you're just going to connect through your hub and any of the majors go in there. 
actually, I think I looked this up for, for this. It was something like Southwest was number one and it was, I guess, followed by American in terms of flights. Uh, I'm a Delta flyer, so we just always connect typically through Atlanta. If you're on United, you're probably going to go through Denver, you know, just, you know how to fly. Sure, sure. And then once we get to the airport, like from there, getting into the town, do we rent a car? Do, it, do we take uh, public transportation or like a ride share? Like what's the best way to, to get around? Yeah, I think it really depends on why you're there. You know, if you're there for the stuff that my family likes to do, the the outdoor stuff, you're, you're just going to want a car. So just go ahead and get a car. And if you can get one that has lots of space and high clearance, that probably won't feel too bad either. If you're going to something at University of Arizona or in downtown, like a convention, for sure, you could ride share from the airport. Airport is roughly 15 minutes from both of those places. Uh, Charity and I, my wife, always joke that, you know, we ask people not to judge Tucson too harshly when they come in. Uh, whether you come in on I-10 or, or whether you come in uh, via air to U.S., neither of them are in very beautiful parts of the city. Uh, and so one of the things <laughs> that I'm excited about this show is just to say, hey, there are a lot of really pretty places in Tucson. They just don't happen to be right near Interstate 10 uh, or the airport. Sure, sure. And like you said, if it being a college town like it is, that uh, the ride shares in like probably the immediate area as well as like public transportation, probably pretty good in those areas because a lot of college students don't have cars. But like you said, for you know the hiking and those type of things, you may get a ride out there on rideshare, but you're probably going to be pretty hard pressed to try to find a ride back from, from one of those hikes. Yeah, I would say unless you're just going to one of those, going and staying to one of those central areas, then rideshare, even perhaps public transport could work for you. Although I don't know that I've ever known anyone who took public transport in Tucson. But if, if you're going anywhere other than downtown or U of A, I'm going to recommend a rental car. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, as far as like where to stay while we're there and visiting Tucson, should we stay like in the downtown area or are there kind of like unique and like boutique type of hotels that, that really kind of encapsulate like the the feeling of, of Tucson? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll name uh, two iconic properties and then I'll tell you about my favorite property. So the, the two iconic ones would be Hacienda del Sol is in the Tucson foothills. Uh, that's the north central part of, uh, of the north of the central part of the city. Beautiful historic hotel. Guest list goes back to sometime in the early 20th century, and they've developed it a lot since then. I don't know exactly how many rooms they have there, but, but it's in the couple dozen or 40 range. A couple of great restaurants there. What you would expect in a you know four plus star accommodations with some beautiful mountain views to the north and then beautiful views of the city uh, to the south from that property. The other really iconic place to stay would be the Tanca Verde Guest Ranch, and uh, that's in the northeast part of the city. And that's another four plus star resort. If you have an interest in horseback riding and, and hiking, uh, that's going to be a wonderful place to do that. And then uh, my personal favorite and my story of how I got to Tucson is that in, so I'm 44, in 1994, my parents ended their construction business in Seattle, Washington and moved to Tucson and opened the Jeremiah Inn Bed and Breakfast. So they uh, bought 3.3 acres of land and put up a 6,500 square foot house. And the Jeremiah Inn Bed and Breakfast has been serving guests in Tucson since 1995, which is a, a pretty long time uh, for a family run B&B. Uh, my dad and mom started that together. My dad died in 2013, but my mom continues to uh, own and operate that property and has welcomed thousands of guests from all over the world, you know, over the last almost 30 years. So really proud of her. And um, whereas I would say like Hacienda del Sol and Tanco Verde Guest Ranch are, are definitely, you know, four and five star properties. My mom's would enter in there at like solid three star. But what you get at the Jeremiah Inn is 
really personalized uh, service, recommendations, incredible breakfasts, great mountain views, dark skies, pool and hot tub, you know, all that stuff. So it's a, it's a great place to stay. So those are my three favorites. And that's really awesome. Uh, yeah, I lost my dad too around that around that same type of time frame. But uh, it's really awesome that she has kind of continued on the dream and uh, continuing on that business and everything. So sorry, getting a little choked up thinking about that. But that's really awesome that she did that. That's a hard loss. Yeah, and on the Jeremiah Inn, I just would say, you know, my mom is she's in her early seventies now. So there's a uh, probably a I don't know how many more years she'll do it. But if you want to go to Tucson and stay at the Jeremiah Inn, I think you should do it pretty soon. Absolutely. So uh, let's talk about some of the things we should do when we're visiting Tucson. I know we, we've kind of touched on a couple of different spots, but let's talk about like what you really recommend as far as like some museums. Because like uh, when I when I travel with my kids, I always like to try to find some things that are fun, but also a little bit educational. So that way, if we're missing school, we don't get too much of a nasty gram from the teachers, you know? Yeah, we. Uh, I, I totally hear you. We we take our school on the road with us, and so we just. If we get any nastograms from the teachers, it's probably for like making a mess in the car or something like that. <laughs> so favorite spots in Tucson, I think, I, I think I probably have to, especially given the criteria you just said, lead with the Sonoran Desert Museum. Uh, this is an incredible museum that just uh, features the wildlife and plants and habitats of the Sonoran Desert and does it in a really engaging way. Uh, there are some wonderful live animal displays like you'd see at like a world-class zoo. You can learn as much about desert plants and biology as you want. They talk about how this all fits together and and have great stuff, I would say, for people of all ages. I don't love spending long periods of time in museums myself, and, and I can easily spend four or five hours at the Sonoran Desert Museum if I'm not getting too sunburned. After that, so on either side of the city, east and west, is Saguaro National Park. Uh, Saguaro National Park East is in the Rincon Mountains, and Saguaro National Park West is in the Tucson Mountains. And there's just any number of, of hiking trails. And especially if the Sonoran Desert is new to you, just the chance to hike through it and see it can, it's a very iconic uh, landscape and really beautiful uh, in its own right. Again, take plenty of water, things like that. Now, as far as like with some of these hikes and everything, I know there's obviously vastly different levels of, of hikes. Like, you know, my kids are eight and 12 right now. As far as the level of difficulty for those hikes, is it going to be okay to, to take younger children like that? Yeah, I, I think what you're going to want to do there, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not prepared, especially in an, in an audio format to delve into this, but is to go ahead and, and research hikes in the area that you want to go. Like anything, you're going to be able to find hikes that are very pedestrian and hikes that are as rugged and remote as, as you could find anywhere in the lower 48. And so one thing to remember, I think, is that Tucson is a big sunbird destination. And so there are, maybe they don't call themselves sunbirds anymore. I don't know. 60 plus crowd visiting from northern states and those people are looking for a hike or a walk that they can do so so especially with young children or if you have uh, different physical abilities there's going to be a lot of stuff tailored to people that aren't necessarily super outdoor athletes oh sure okay that makes a lot of sense when i was looking and doing a little research i you know, I remember in my elementary school days, all the different missions that were up and down like the California coast. I, I think there's like a, a really interesting muse- uh, mission there in Tucson as well, right? Yeah. So there's one called San Xavier del Bac. It's over kind of to the southwest of the city. And it's a historic spot that's been there a long time. I'm, I am less expert in that than I am in the hiking around Tucson. But for, for people who are interested in that kind of mission trail, uh, that's definitely a, a go-to spot. Nice, nice. And then uh, kind of along the, that same line with the museums, 
as travelers, we love watching the the jets and and hopping on airplanes and everything like that. And there's an air and space museum there as well, right? Yeah, the Pima Air and Space Museum is really is excellent. They've got a big plane and space collection. Some of it is indoors, uh, some of it is outdoors. So even though it's probably better in the shoulder or winter seasons, it's probably doable to some extent. Even in the in the summer, they've got an old Air Force One jet. They've got one of the few remaining flyable uh, B-17 bombers. Uh, when I was in high school, they had veterans who had flown these planes that at certain times would be there. And you could just stop and talk to one of these people that had actually flown the plane in, in combat. And that was always really, uh, really interesting. I'm, I'm not sure how that program works in 2023, but but the museum is still there and popular as ever. Yeah, that's amazing being able to hear those stories directly from people that that actually experienced it themselves. Like, unfortunately, we're, we're you know, I guess fortunately and unfortunately, right? Like, fortunately, we haven't had that many wars where we have to worry about that. But unfortunately, you know, with the passing of time, they're not around as much. Yeah, the World War II veterans are I think, pretty much not to be found. Yeah, yeah. So switching back to <laughs> a little bit more happier thoughts and everything, like we talked about, like the, the, all the different hikes and and all the different opportunities that are that are around the, the Tucson area. There's a couple that that uh, seem like really cool, like the Sabino Canyon and uh, Bear Canyon. Yeah, I, I guess if I was going to highlight just two outdoor things to do in Tucson, if you're only there for a few days. Um, going to Sabino Canyon, which is in northwest Tucson, it has a, a big public access point. Uh, from there, what you can do is, is pay a little money for access and, and ride a, an open tram that takes you up, up the canyon. And you can, you're gaining elevation and you're seeing the Sonoran Desert on, on both sides. And I think that they, they have some uh, park ranger that's, that's giving a guided tour as you do that. The tram stops at a number of different places and you can choose to, to get off um, as far or as near the parking lot as you want, you know, and, and hike back. Uh, that would be a downhill hike for you on a, you know, essentially a, an asphalt road, uh, but still very beautiful. There's no cars in there. It's a, a great spot. And then uh, Bear Canyon is the sister canyon to Sabino Canyon. It's, it's one canyon to the east and um, both have streams that at least potentially flow uh, year round as we've had some some drought and uh, lesser snowpack that hasn't hasn't always been the case but bear canyon is a little bit more remote doesn't have uh, a road in it it just has a, a hiking trail so the hike there is called uh, seven falls and you can start in sabino canyon and walk over to bear canyon and then take the hike to seven falls and i think if you did that that'd probably be a, a an eight mile round trip um so not you know not short uh, but it's all on improved trails and uh, is a, a real favorite of our family and then the other big outdoor resource that's just totally accessible to Tucson is, is the Mount Lemmon Highway. And uh, it starts at 26 or 2,700 feet elevation and, and climbs to over 9,000. And especially if you just aren't used to seeing those huge mountain vistas, it's a great place to, to do that. There's all manner of hiking accessible from the Mount Lemmon Highway. So you can, you can learn about that through guidebooks or internet search. And then you can get to the top and whatever temperature it was when you started, it's probably going to be 25 or 30 degrees cooler. And there's a chairlift up there. That's actually just kind of a fun ride, even if it's not skiing time and a few little, a few little stores, there's a a small community of people that that live on, on top of Mount Lemon. And that's a, a definite recommended, very easy half day jaunt that is different than what you might be accustomed to seeing unless you're from Colorado or New Mexico. 
Sure, sure. It sounds like a like a great time, great way to spend the uh, time in the outdoors with uh, friends and family, and going out there and getting some fresh air. Obviously, if we're doing all these hikes, we're going to be working up an appetite and everything like that. And one of the things that I always love to do when we're, whenever we travel is like check out some of the local food. What are some of your recommendations for good food while we're there in, in Tucson? Yeah, so favorites would be for like fancy dinner would be the grill at Hacienda del Sol. We've already talked about staying at Hacienda del Sol, uh, kind of swinging all the way to the other end of the spectrum. Uh, El Sinaloense hot dog cart sells Sonoran hot dogs, which if you don't know about this, uh, there's two guys that are standing at a, a grill in a, in a food truck. Like it's, it's really just like a trailer and they are taking uh, hot dogs, wrapping them with bacon and then putting these incredible spicy flavored dressings on top of that. And uh, so recommend that. Uh, let's see. I think I usually eat, eat three of those, maybe four, uh, especially if I've, if I've been hiking. Um, kind of a, a middle of the road option is is a local restaurant called Eclectic Cafe. It's been in business in the same location for I, I would guess thirty or forty years. Uh, local owners and they just have a a wide variety of salads, soups, uh, Mexican foods, and then you know if you're traveling with children who aren't into adventurous eating, you can definitely get a, a grilled cheese or a, a hamburger there. Uh, but that's that's good food and that's near Sabino Canyon. And then another just longtime local icon is uh, El Charo Cafe. They have at least one branch location, but would definitely recommend the original El Charo, which is downtown. It's in an old kind of broken down house and you can have a long wait time there. So I would recommend you consider calling ahead. Nice. Now, whenever my kids, whenever we're traveling and I have to sometimes bribe them with some like some uh, some candy or some ice cream, uh, where would we go for like a, a sweet treat? So, Leah, a, a sweet treat that is unique to Tucson is EGs, E-E-G-E-E-S. It's kind of a homemade iced slushy, and they come in fruit flavors, and it's, it's just something that people get in Tucson. So if you're hot, then EGs will, will cool you off, including giving you a brain freeze if that's what you need. <laughs> it sounds like a perfect uh, mid-afternoon snack, especially during the summertime or after one of those long hikes, for sure. Well. Matt, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all these amazing tips. I've learned so much about Tucson. I want to come out there and go on some of these really amazing hikes and, and see some of the incredible views of the city and of the desert. But now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal when they visited Tucson, where should they go and what should they eat? I think if you only had time for one meal, we've already talked about it, I, I would probably go to El Charo uh, because that's real Sonoran Mexican food. It's accessible to anyone who's able to get to Tucson for a trip. And, you know, you will, you will have gone someplace that, that is, is really emblematic of the city. Nice. And, and what would, uh, what would we recommend ordering there? You know, I think I, I'm always looking for the carne asada plate. So that's uh, probably what I'm going to get there. If I wasn't going to get that, I would probably get uh, the chicken enchiladas and I would try to get them to make those with uh, tomatillo sauce. Nice. Nice. Yeah. My wife, uh, when she hears this, her mouth's going to be watering. That's for sure. Like you said, you've been going back and forth to Tucson for, for many years now. I'm sure you created a lot of amazing stories, both with your family as well as your parents. Uh, what's one of your most memorable? You know, I think struggled with this one to, to choose between two. My, my wife and I got in, engaged in Tucson, and that was actually a, a pretty good story. Had about 40 of our family and friends gathered and surprised her with, with that. And we had our engagement party on the spot. That was probably one of my personal favorite uh, Tucson memories. Another one uh, about the, the hazards of travel. 
we left Tucson uh, pulling a trailer behind our minivan one time, which is, I think I can say universally and always a mistake. And uh, just a few miles east of Tucson, we ended up burning out the transmission on our then uh, 2004 Honda Odyssey. So being on the side of the road was definitely memorable. Uh, Other memorable things about that, we had a state policeman come uh, like block for us while we got to a safe place. Uh, We had the tow truck driver come and then uh, the tow truck driver's wife actually loaned us another car that we borrowed until we uh, sourced a replacement minivan on short notice uh, in Tucson. So those would be two of my most memorable (laughs) Tucson stories, even though, um, you know, unfortunately for your listeners, they're not able to become engaged to my wife. And I definitely don't wish on anyone uh, being on the side of the road on I-10 with a, a burned up transmission. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Let's stick with the first story because that sounds way better than the transmission story. So- <laughs> it's all part of travel, Lee. No, I mean, like uh, we drove through uh, Arizona on our move out to here to Nashville. And about six months after we arrived, my engine blew out on my, on my truck. So I just kept thinking to myself, I'm so glad it didn't happen somewhere in the desert uh, along that drive, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's travel too. Again, like I was saying, like this was roughly 30 or 40 miles from our home base at my mom's house. And so we were so thankful it was there and not, you know, Midland, Texas, which is where we would have been in 10 or 12 hours. Absolutely. Again, let's focusing on the, on the good story of, of the the engagement and the surprise party and everything like that. Speaking of happy times and and good memories, uh, where's the happiest happy hour in Tucson? I, I think my favorite would probably be Nimbus Brewing Company. Uh, it's not far from the airport and uh, just a, a, a microbrewery that goes back probably to the, to the early 90s, which is pretty long in, in microbrewery times. Always good rotating taps and just a, a good place to get a beer. Fantastic. I always love me some good beers uh, from local breweries. And whenever I travel, I always check out like the, the local pizza. Where's the best place for pepperoni pizza in Tucson? Yeah, so I, I'd go to Arizona Pizza Company. Uh, their Sabino Canyon location. You're going to be fairly close to Sabino Canyon, which we've been been talking about. Eclectic Cafe is also right in that same area, so you could choose choose one or the other. And if you want pepperoni pizza, I'd go to Arizona Pizza Company. Fantastic. Now I know you do a lot of traveling, you know, with you and your family and, and road trips and everything like that. What's one of your best travel tips? Yeah, I think for us, I actually heard you talk about this, Lee, on your your holiday podcast. Uh, talked about you know, coordinating the car travel to align with the kids' schedule. Our kids are now big, uh, 18, 16, and 15. So when, when they were little, we did more of what you described, like driving at night or uh, trying to align, you know, leaving with their naps and things like that. That was that was a, a great tip for when they were small. Um, now that they've got, you know, the ability to go long distances, I think that one of the best ways to make miles in a road trip, if your goal is to, to get somewhere with your car, is to just uh, like, this is obvious, but like minimize stops. And the, the way that you do that is like, you're trying to, if possible, go for an entire tank of gas, because that's kind of like your theoretical maximum limit. And so like, we'll do things where we're prepared to, you know, have food pre-made uh, in the car. Like when we come into town at the, at the Airbnb, we uh, have specific plans for how we're going to like get dinner, how that's going to feed into breakfast, how it's going to relate to lunch the next day. And all those things are connected to like, getting there on our trip. So we just came back from an 8,200 mile loop and we obviously really, really liked a road trip. One that has, I don't think is unique to our family, but that other, other families have done as well. Again, especially when the kids were younger, my my wife called the minivan express and she would go to the dollar store and buy things like 
ring pops and puzzle games and, you know, much to the chagrin of the driver, like musical kazoos and uh, stuff <laughs> like that. And uh, from time to time would hand these things out and the you know, kids last from the backseat, mom, can we have another present? And so that was a good one. I think my all time favorite as the, the dad in there was she one time handed out Windex wipes and told them to clean the car. That was the the winning present from my perspective, if not the children's. <laughs> yeah. Well, the good thing is that now that your, your children are getting older, you can actually hand over some of the driving duties to them if you are feeling brave. That's right. In fact, my my son recently completed his North Carolina driver's experience requirement or, or largely completed it on this this most recent trip. I think when, when it's teen drivers, it's not really like you get a rest. In fact, I feel like supervising teen drivers is roughly five times the mental wear and tear of just driving yourself. But I we're on the cusp of maybe being able to to get some relief from our from our extra drivers. Nice, nice. Well, right on. Well, again, Matt, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all these amazing tips. I've learned so much, and uh, it's been great to meet you and, and get to know a little bit more about your story. Uh, can you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah. Lee, I just thank you for the chance to come here and speak to your listeners and um, be part of this amazing travel podcast. I really enjoyed uh, getting to know you as well. I think, you know, for your listeners who are interested to follow up, my main place to hear me would be my podcast, which is Work Pants Finance. And you can find that wherever podcasts are distributed or, of course, at workpantsfinance.com. And then uh, that podcast is really part of my effort to help families do a great job taking their money and translating it to put their values to work in the world, like including travel. So I'm the founder and CEO of Minor Wealth Management. We're a independent fiduciary wealth manager based in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, serving clients all over. So that's that's my main deal. The podcast is, is kind of a, a part of that total wealth management picture. And uh, Minor Wealth Management team is, is uh, me, my employee, uh, CPA Joe Bray and a second employee named Bethany Wagoner who helps keep things pointed in the right direction. You can learn more about Minor Wealth at minorwealth.com. Well, fantastic. If somebody has questions about your wealth management practice, about your podcast or Tucson or, or even just some of the road trips that you've done, what's the best way to reach you on social media? I'm very findable on LinkedIn. Search Matthew Minor. If you put Matthew Minor CFP, you'll definitely get me. On Twitter, I'm at Matthew R. Minor. I'm on Facebook, I think at matt.minor.mba, or just send me an email. Uh, it's matt at minorwealth.com. Well, fantastic. We'll definitely include links to those in the show notes. And Matt, it's been a pleasure, and we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Sounds great, Lee. I look forward to the meetup. We can share a pepperoni pizza and maybe a hike. What a fun conversation with Matt. Although I've been to Phoenix numerous times, I still haven't been to Tucson. After our conversation, I'm definitely adding it to my list. You can find all the links we talked about today and our one-page guide to Matt's tips at wetravelthere.com forward slash Tucson. We want to say thank you to Bluffworks for being an affiliate partner of today's episode. Bluffworks offers many styles to fit your needs so the way you can stay wrinkle free while traveling. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash Bluffworks and use the promo code LEAD to save 10% off your order. Join us next time as we head to Arusha, Tanzania to speak with my new friend Scott Brills of Pomoja Safaris. In this episode, Scott and I talk about going on safari in the Serengeti National Park, exploring the active volcano at Mount Meru, and visiting the Nungarongo Crater, the world's biggest intact volcanic caldera. We hope you join us when we travel there. I love hearing your feedback about the show. Send me a tweet at WeTravelThere or email me at wetravelthere.com forward slash contact to share your thoughts. 
If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell me what you like most. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming destinations. 